Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Praise God. So we're glad that you're here once again tonight. Jeremiah chapter 17, and this is another one of those messages that comes directly from our Bible reading program. So I'll put in a pitch tonight. If you don't miss out on, uh, on how God is speaking to us, our congregation, in the Bible reading program, I do want to encourage you to be, maybe we can put that up on the screen for a second, Amanda. Uh, we are reading the Word of God together in a systemized way. Uh, it's about three or four chapters every day, and uh, it's Monday through Saturday. You get Sundays off because we're studying the Word of God together in church on Sunday. And so it's a great way to, uh, to give some structure to your Bible reading instead of just saying, uh, Lord, speak to me to on this page. And uh, how many of us, not, not a great strategy. So uh, it's a good way to, to stay up to date and stay together reading the Word of God together. This scripture was part of our Bible reading program just a couple of days ago. I believe it was from our Friday reading. And um, uh, God began to uh, help me to put together this message tonight, and I want to ask you to join me in Jeremiah chapter 17 tonight. There is a very interesting question that we can use to determine how you think about many issues in life. There was one question that you could ask somebody to figure out what they believe about many things in life. This is one good question that you can ask. And the question is, are people basically good? Do you believe that people are basically good? And how you answer that question is a pretty good indicator and a pretty good predictor of how you answer a hundred other questions about public policy, politics, religion, various things. And so the thinking goes, if people are basically good, if they are pre-programmed for morality and to do right in the world, well, then it makes sense that we can trust them in positions of authority and leadership and that they're going to make right decisions if you give them a lot of power or money. It means, uh, you know, if people are basically good, then we don't need to have a whole lot of laws on the books that we can loosen the, the laws and sentencing guidelines and just let people do what they want because people are basically good. If people are basically good, that means that children come out of the womb wanting to do right, and it means that we can tell our kids to follow their heart, and that's going to turn out good for them. You're laughing tonight because of how silly it sounds, but I want to tell you there's a lot of people in this world, if you ask them, are people basically good, they'll say, yes, yes, that's true. On the other hand, if we answer 
this question by saying that people are not basically good, well, then that gives us a whole other set of answers to those questions. If people are not basically good, then that means we need accountability and close supervision of elected officials. How do you tell if a politician is lying to you? His lips are moving. That's why we need accountability, because maybe people are not basically good. If it's true that people are not basically good, then it's very important in society to have appropriate laws and sentences in order to discourage immorality and crime. That is a good thing to do. Of course, any system can be abused, but we should have a system of laws that discourages people from breaking those laws. Because people are not basically good and left to their own devices, they'll probably steal from you. If it's true that people are not basically good, then it means that parents have to discipline their children because they're pre-programmed for foolishness. And we have to force them to confront wickedness in their own hearts. We know that the prefrontal cortex of the brain is not fully developed until you're age 23 or 24. And that's okay. Everybody is brain damaged until they're 23 years old. And so that's, that's fine. We understand that. What that means is that prefrontal, prefrontal cortex is the decision-making part of your brain. And until you reach an age of accountability, it's very hard for you to think through every decision that you make in life and how it's going to play out. That's why it's good to have parents. All the teenagers said amen. And so in our scripture we find a simple and a profound scriptural warning to be wary of putting our trust in those who don't deserve it. And we're going to get a biblical answer to that question, are people basically good? And I don't think you'll be surprised about what the Bible has to say. Jeremiah chapter 17, if you'll join us, we're going to read uh, verses 5 through 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed. Everybody say the word cursed. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. Verse 7, but blessed, say the word blessed. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. This is a message I've titled, The Dangers of Misplaced Trust. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the precious blood of Jesus. I'm praying, Lord, that you would give us understanding and wisdom to live this life and navigate your will. I pray, God, give people a heart to obey your word, to heed the warnings of the Holy Spirit. And God, that you would help us to recognize in ourselves the tendency to trust in people who don't deserve our implicit trust. And God, instead, that we can trust fully in you, in your word tonight. We give you glory 
in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen, the dangers of misplaced trust. Let's look first at the curse of man trust. The Bible begins in in our scripture with the word cursed. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans. There's a lot in this scripture about the idea of trust. Have you ever trusted somebody? If you've lived life, you should at some point have put trust in someone. Sometimes it works out well. Sometimes it doesn't work out well. The word trust in the Hebrew is the word batak, and it means batak, yeah. To confide in, to set one's hope and confidence in. And there is tonight a case to be made for trusting in people. You know, you can't do uh, anything important in life without putting trust in people, and that's just reality. But tonight, there is, in our world, there is an idea of the, of uh, a view of the world, and it is mostly uh, propelled and pro- proposed by those who will say that there is no God. And w- the way that people will frame this is that we are the ones we've been waiting for. We are our own best hope. According to Wikipedia, humanism is defined like this emphasizes the individual and social potential. Agency of human beings whom it considers the starting point for serious moral and philosophical inquiry. Sounds pretty nice, right? I want to tell you, for those who do not believe in a greater power, humanism is the only hope left. If you don't have a God to call out to, then who's your next best source of inspiration? Well, it's the expert class. It's those in power. It's those who we think are smarter or better educated or uh, in positions of authority. And so it must be that they're the best of us, right? Having rejected the hope of an all-powerful creator, the only place left to look is under the sun. And under the sun, there is certainly no hope if you look at the chaos of nature If you look at nature itself, you know, people who are, uh, uh, you know, environmentalists, they love nature until you put them out in nature, and they have to make a fire for themselves to cook food, then all of a sudden, they'd rather be at the five-star hotel. In hope, there's, in, in, under the sun, there's not a lot of hope in the chaos of nature, so the, the best hope that the atheist or the agnostic might have is in the expert human beings. Those who are well-educated, well-trained, universities and politicians and uh, even Hollywood starlets. But Jeremiah in our scripture is making a bold declaration about this trust in human beings. It's not just a mistake to trust in people. It is a curse. And it's a curse that will leave you high and dry. Jeremiah says, cursed are you if you trust in mere humans. If you ask Jeremiah, who is representing the Word of God, do you believe that people are basically good? His answer is not just no. His answer is, if you say yes, you're an idiot. You're cursed. You will be separated from God and there are consequences 
to this idea. Why is that? Think about it for a second. Why is it true that you put your trust in man, it results in a curse? Why is that? Look at verse 5. This is what the Lord says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength, and, this is important, turn their hearts away from the Lord. In other words, tonight, you cannot put your full trust in humanity, in human beings, without rejecting your trust in the Lord God who created everything. Those two are incompatible. You will either, tonight, put your trust in the Creator God who made everything and has a plan and a purpose for your life, or you will reject Him by putting your trust in the world. These are two very radically different views of the world. In the Bible, there is a history, very interesting, of the first humanist experiment in the Old Testament. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 11, where it speaks about Nimrod. And now we have somehow equated the word Nimrod to an idiot or a fool in the cartoons. But Nimrod was a man who lived on the earth, and people believe he was a contemporary of the father of our faith, Abram. And Abram and Nimrod represent these two different worldviews. One who trusted in God and believed Him, and one who said, I want to do things my own way and put the trust in people. It's very interesting that this man, Nimrod, is the one who began to organize human society and began to put together a a project. Hey guys, let's get together and do something great for for the planet. And what did they do? Genesis 11, verse 3, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, asphalt for mortar, and they said, let us build ourselves a city whose tower is in the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. This was a pre-diluvian representation of the humanist view of the world. It means that they said, we don't need God. We can do things ourselves. Let's put together a city, guys. Let's put together a tower. And a tower represents a centralized form of government. It was so interesting. Recently, I reread this book uh, that was changed, changed uh, the viewpoints of so many people called 1984. And in that book, if you've ever read it, you know that every person in that society had some kind of a a television tube in their house where they could see the face of the government and the government, the face of the government could see into everybody's home. And it was a, it was a state where uh, the, the government had everybody locked down and you couldn't say anything you want to say and it's very interesting. That's the idea of a tower, by the way. A tower is something that's built high enough that no matter where you are in the city, you can see the tower. And also that those who are in the tower can look down and see the whole city around them. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of government that is centralized in its power. And the whole reason why they're making this tower is to make a statement to themselves, but ultimately to God, we don't need you. We can do this on our own. We are our own best hope. So let's make a tower. What did God think of this strategy? He said, this is not a good idea. 
And when God came down, we know the story. This is now called the Tower of Babel. Because God came down and He rescued this people from destroying themselves by confusing their languages. And all of a sudden, they couldn't talk to each other anymore. That was a gift that God gave to those people. Because if they had succeeded in building this tower, it would have resulted in so much human suffering, just like every humanistic endeavor of the 20th century led to the deaths of millions of people. Millions of people. Whenever the centralized authority, uh, the government planners take over, it always ends up in human suffering. God saved that society by confusing their languages and causing them to not be able to work together. God was basically saying, you need to trust in me again and not in these experts. What is the fruit of trusting in man? Our scripture says there are two very uh, distinct uh, results of this curse. Number one, they are like stunted shrubs in the desert. Some of you have been to Arizona for conference. You know what that looks like. A stunted shrub in the desert. It means that this shrub has the genetic DNA, the capability to grow into a big thriving plant. But because of its location, because of the environment, because of the lack of nature and resources, water, that it is stunted, it is stuck at a certain point of growth. Now you could take that shrub and you could pull it out of that dusty ground and you could plant it in a place where there is much more water, where the sun is not scorching down on it for, uh, for months and months out of the year. And that same shrub could grow to new levels and thrive and even produce fruit, perhaps. But because of its location. This is what Jeremiah is telling us will happen to those who only put their trust in people, in expert class, in governmental authorities. Lord, help us. They will never experience the fullness of life. You know, I really feel sorry for people who do not acknowledge spiritual realities of life. Did you know that life is more spiritual than it is physical? There are so many spiritual realities. And if all you believe in are the things that you can see with your eyes, the things you can feel with your senses, the things you can... If that's the only thing you believe in, you're a materialist, you're a humanist, but you are missing out on the most important part of life. The most important things in life are not physical in nature. They can't be measured in a scientific laboratory. You can't measure things like courage or love or hope. You can't measure those things. You can't take out a, a, a gauge or a dial to tell if someone is trustworthy or someone who is, is, uh, is, is someone worth emulating in life. Those, all of those things are spiritual reality. They're invisible. They're behind the physical reality. I can measure how much you weigh and how tall you are, but I can't measure if you're a good person if I would like to live next door to you or not. I can't measure that. Those are spiritual realities. I feel sorry for them because it's like trying to live without one of your five senses. People who live with, without spiritual realities, it's like all of a sudden you pluck their eyes out of their head and say, go ahead, try to figure life out. It's not easy. 
because you're missing the full picture. The shrub is only able to experience a fraction of what it's supposed to have. And so, uh, so far I've been talking about the humanist or the atheist or the agnostic, but let's bring it home a little closer tonight. Is it possible that you can be in church and call yourself a Christian and not fully trust in the Lord? Is it possible tonight that the problem of people who don't acknowledge spiritual truths is not just the people out there, but the people in here? It's the people who lift their hands and sing Christian songs on Sunday, but on Monday you cannot distinguish them from the atheists down the street who are effectively living an agnostic type of lifestyle even though they might be confessing Christ. That's called an unbelieving or a carnal Christian. And in the same way that the agnostic or the atheist can't see the full scope and the full picture of life, he's stunted in his growth and in his understanding. In the same way, there are people who come to church and don't experience the fullness of God's blessing and grace because those places where God has called us to trust Him, to acknowledge His Word and to put it into practice in our lives. But what do we say? I have a better plan. I have my own way. I think I'll build my own tower. Thank you very much. Lord, maybe next time. Now, I want to say tonight, in a certain way, I'm almost hurting my own position as a pastor. Because this truth about not implicitly trusting in man also applies in the church. And I'm not exempt tonight from this truth as a pastor. No church leader should be exempt from this either. Now, we should want, as a body of Christ, we need to have trust in one another. We need to be able to believe in each other and have confidence in one another. But that trust is not an implicit trust. It's not an unconditional trust. It's not automatic. I will never tell anyone here to trust me just because I'm the pastor or just because I'm preaching the sermon. Don't believe me just because I said it's true. I challenge everybody here to take whatever I say and hold it up in the light of Scripture. And as you're listening to me, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and how He's speaking because every word needs to be weighed in the balance of God's eternal truths. Why is that important tonight? Because guess what? Pastors are people too. Pastors can make mistakes. Church leaders can fail. You know, something that is very concerning to me is to see when a church goes through a pastoral change in leadership, one pastor leaves and another pastor comes in, and all of a sudden the attendance numbers are cut in half. That's a problem. Why does that happen? Because many times people are putting their trust in the guy behind the pulpit instead of the God who is in heaven. See, any trust that you have in me must be weighed in the balance, as I am trying to serve Jesus. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He told the church in Corinth, follow my example, but not without a condition. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, as long as I'm living for Jesus, then yes, I'll, you, you can follow me. But if I ever deviate and take a wrong turn, Paul is making a statement here, He's saying, yes, you need to trust me as I am trusting Christ, but if I make a wrong move, 
even if an angel of light comes down to you and preaches a different gospel, don't believe him. The second consequence of this curse of trusting in man is that Jeremiah says that there would be no hope for the future. Very interesting tonight. No hope for the future. I want you to think for a moment, in our world today, there is a group of people that are environmental alarmists that are always telling us about the earth is dying and we have to do something now before the, uh, before the world kills us all. Can I tell you something? These predictions have been made for the last hundred years that the world is ending. In uh, 1970, a guy named Paul Ehrlich predicted that the death rate will increase until at least 100 million people per year will be starving to death in the next 10 years. That was 1970 he said that. That didn't come true. In 1989, the AP reported that rising seas will obliterate the nations by the year 2000. Did anybody uh, notice if that happened or not? In 2002, the Guardian newspaper in England said that in the next 10 years, there will be large famines. Millions of people will die. Uh, Well, 2002 was 20 years ago. 10 years have passed. I haven't seen the famine that they predicted. In 2008, the AP predicted that the Arctic will be ice-free by 2018. They make a mistake when they put a year on their predictions. They should just say, someday. (laughs) But they... They want, they want you to be freaked out. They want you to be scared. Because when you're panicked, you are easily controlled and manipulated. In 2009, Prince Charles, oh, well, now I guess he's King Charles. In that year, 2009, he said there's only eight years left to save the planet. Let's see, do the math. Has it been more than eight years? And so the reason I'm saying this tonight is that it's not some excuse for us to abuse creation. Like, I want clean water and air just like everybody else does. But why do those climate alarmists insist on giving us doomsday scenarios and freaking everybody out? It's the same reason why almost every day in our computer shop, we have somebody show up. They've come into our our computer shop with with a message that's popping up on their screen that says, Danger, danger, do not turn off your computer. There, is a, there are 400 viruses. Call this 800 number so that Microsoft technicians can help you. Has anybody seen that before? Steven saw that. <laughs> and what happens is people call that 800 number and they are not connected to Microsoft. I know, it's hard to believe. It's not really Microsoft. They're calling some scam artist in India. And this scam artist is going to connect to the computer because... Why does that work? They'll bypass all of their antivirus. They'll bypass all of their common sense. The guy on the other line will tell them, oh, to to make this right, you have to go down to your bank and pull out $1,000. And people do it. And even the tellers at the bank will tell them, don't do it, it's a scam. But how does this guy on the phone get them to the place where they're willing to do anything? Because they're panicked. And they're afraid. I'm willing to do anything you say to fix this problem. This is also the goal 
of those who in the world put their trust in man when there's no hope left for the future, then all I have is hope in the here and now. It's amazing that this, this movement is creating a new, uh, a new phenomenon that is being uh, encountered by uh, psychologists and, and therapists. They call it eco-anxiety. This is a real deal. There's a growing recognition in the field of psychology. People are experiencing distress over climate change. Listen to this. More than 40% of Americans felt disgusted or helpless about climate change, according to a survey published by researchers at Yale University. 2020 poll from the APA found that more than half of respondents were somewhat or extremely anxious about the effects of climate change on their own mental health. It's only natural, they say, to feel anxious in the face of a melting planet and the sixth mass extinction, both wrought by human actions. But while humanity may be responsible for carbon pollution warming our planet, the reality is that just a few large corporations and complicit politicians have set, this on, set us on this path. As individuals, it's easy to feel helpless to stop the destruction of the biosphere. Jeremiah is reminding us this is, a, this is exactly what happens when all we do is put our trust in man instead of a God who creates hope for the future. Let's close and look at the blessing of trusting God. Verse 7. It says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. I want to remind you what blessing means for just a moment. What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to experience God's blessing? Well, the Old Testament gives us a picture of what it looks like. In Numbers chapter 6, where we, we, uh, we read the blessing that the priest was supposed to perform over the congregation of the children of Israel. And it goes like this. They call it the Shema, which is one of the most important blessings in the Old Testament. Every synagogue meeting will end with this blessing. And even some uh, Christian denominations today say the same blessing upon their people. It goes like this. Number 6, 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put My name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Very interesting there in verse 26 when it says the Lord lift up His countenance upon you. The word countenance literally means the face of God. So what is blessing? Blessing is when God shines His face upon you. The picture in the original Hebrew language is the picture of a father who is picking up his young son and holding him above his head and they are staring face to face the blessing of God, the protection of God, like Lion King, man. Like, ah, Savania. That's the blessing that God wants to give for us. It means the presence, the protection, and the favor of God. The face of God shining on us. That's the blessing that God has. And how do we find that blessing? We trust in the Lord and make Him our hope. And confidence. Let's close and look at what are the outcomes. What does a life of blessing look like? Verse 8. It says that they are like trees 
planted, upon, uh, planted along a river bank. The roots of those trees reach deep down into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Did you ever look at somebody and ask the question, why are you happy? Why are you still smiling when you're going through something painful, difficult? Did you ever see somebody who has the real deal? I'm not just talking about religious movements on Sunday, but you see somebody who's saved and trusting in the Lord, and you know they're going through hell, but they're still full of joy? How do you figure that out? That's because their roots reach down into something deep. It means that they're resilient in the face of adversity. It means that no matter what happens to them, they have a trust in a God who is bigger than the created universe. He is outside of time and space. He is above and beyond any problem that you have. Did you ever look at somebody who ran out of money before the month was over? But they still got their hands up and praising the Lord? And didn't get all bummed out and thrown a self-pity party? Why are you still happy? Why are the leaves still green, man? It's too hot out here to have green leaves. You're supposed to have brown leaves. You're supposed to be having a, a frown on your face. Well, that's because the roots have tapped into a resource that you can't see with your eyes. When you put your trust in God, it doesn't mean all of your problems go away. It doesn't mean that the heat of the summer or the cold of the winter will dissipate. It doesn't mean that you'll never have a failure or a setback. But you know what it does mean? You've got strength beyond yourself. You've got abilities beyond your own human experience. See, the government doesn't like that. Politicians don't like that. Because if you, if you can't be swayed by the latest climate alarmism, if you have trust in God, then you're going to follow His mandates instead of the government mandates. You're going you're gonna to begin to say, you know what? Uh, uh, church is a necessary function of my life. And I'm not going to stop going to church just because you told me I have to shut it down. That we're going to live according to another level of standards. That we're not just going to say, okay, I have to follow the law, but I'm, you know. No, we have a higher law. We have a godly law. You know, it's legal to commit adultery. You won't go to jail for committing adultery. But you know what? We have a higher law. There is a, we're going to stand before God one day. And it doesn't matter what the judge here in Virginia Beach says, we have a God who is in heaven and He's watching our lives and He will hold us accountable. This is why we trust in the Lord. Because when those roots reach down into the supernatural and pull out a resource, listen, I'm telling you guys, you can have strength that you don't know where it comes from. You can maintain a smile on your face. And the, and the Scripture said not just that, not just will the leaves stay green, it said that they will never stop producing fruit. These trees are making something useful and helpful. That they are helping the world around them. They're not just absorbing the, the generosity of other people. No, these trees are putting out... Did you ever see a tree full of fruit? We used to have a tree uh, on our little dog walk area. They, they pulled the tree out, I don't know why, but... Uh, Every time we used to walk by that tree, it was a lemon tree. 
And when it was time for the lemons to come forth, man, there were so the hundreds, maybe thousands of lemons. And those lemons were so, were so plentiful that all the, the branches of the tree were like hanging down. That's a fruitful tree. That tree probably was making such a big mess. That's why they pulled it out of there. But it was a blessing. It wasn't just, it wasn't just absorbing the attention. Listen, God wants to make you a fruitful tree. He wants to make your life a blessing to others. He doesn't just want you to be absorbing the generosity of other people and attention of others and, and, uh, and be a social media star. No, He wants to make you a blessing to people around you. He wants the fruit of your life to help others. But look, you can't do that until the roots are way down deep into the blessings of God. That comes through obedience, but most of all, it comes through trusting God. Do you trust that this, this thing is true? Do you trust? I'm not just saying, do you, uh, do you have you know, a mental acknowledgement that, that God is there? Even the devil believes in God. The demons tremble. But the trust, the confidence, the hope is not in man, but it's in God. I want to challenge you tonight. Don't misplace your trust. There is a great curse attached to putting trust in men. Oh, but there is incredible blessing. You put your trust where it belongs, in the presence of the living God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring this service to a close tonight. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.